Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. It's Raja again from Melbourne, Australia. Um, and this is episode 17. And in this episode, um, I thought I'd discuss about some of the um, news uh, that's been happening in Australia particularly with the upcoming election. There's a state election coming up um, in the state of Victoria uh, in about a week's time. And also there's speculation about a potential federal election coming in the next 12 months. So why is that relevant? Um, Well, essentially, there's a few policy shifts that may or may not happen. And that may affect um, everyone's personal finances particularly from the setting of the property market. Now, for the overseas listeners, um, essentially, Australia has enjoyed um, over 20 years of successful economic growth. We've been very lucky. We've basically not felt the wrath of the global financial crisis. Um, Our economy has been booming for a number of years consecutively. And I guess the question is, all good things has to come to an end. And the final question is, does it come to an end with a big bang or does it come to an end um, after having a steady, slow stop? And the property market in Australia is one of those um, sectors which has done extremely well, particularly in the last 10 years, um, where prices have basically you know, doubled or tripled or even quadrupled in some cases. Um, and we're sort of slowing down a little bit particularly in the two metropolises in Australia, which is Sydney and Melbourne. And remembering that these two metropolises um, essentially consist of about 40 to 50% of the entire country's population. So Australia is one of the most urbanised countries in the world. Uh, We are a very advanced economy. Um, I think we're sort of between sort of seven and eighth largest economy in the world. Uh, for a country which only has about 25 million people. So um, on a per capita basis, on a quality of life basis, on um, the income per person basis, um, and also net wealth uh, per person basis, we're up there with one of the best in the world. Now, as a result of that, um, if you have a look at the property prices across the two major cities in Australia, Sydney and Melbourne, this year alone, um, in the last sort of 12 months, Sydney property prices have um, come down by about 8% and Melbourne property prices uh, have come down by about 4 to 4.5%. So there's a little bit of panic going on um, at the moment, particularly uh, by some financial analysts um, and you know the recent UBS report is basically predicting uh, a doom and gloom situation, um, a Armageddon situation of a 30% property price crash by the end of 2020. Now, given that Sydney's already lost 8%, 
you know, 30% is a real possibility. Um, some people are saying probably about another 10% um, up until the end of 2020, and other people are saying about 20%. So I guess what I'd thought about um, is talk a little bit about what are some of the factors that you might want to consider coming up in the next sort of two to five years or so in Australia. And if you're an overseas listener, I think this is probably important to understand as well, because I'll talk about some of the financial concepts in this and how it affects the individual and how it affects the economy and how it affects um, whether you're a buyer, a seller of property, an investor, or a renter of property. So why are property prices falling in Melbourne and Sydney primarily, but generally across Australia? Um, there are some pockets of Australia where property prices are actually doing quite well still. So, you know, but overall, we are seeing a correction phase in the property economy. So why is that? Well, the lending practices um, are tightening up, particularly for investors, but also now starting to creep up to owner-occupiers. So it's not unusual that you put your property for sale and the people who are very keen to buy it are just not able to get the finance. Um, and it's not because that the banks don't want to lend uh, the money. It's because the banks want more information about your finances before they lend the money. So my personal experience, um, you know, I bought a property last year. Um, it was fairly difficult to get that investment loan. Um, and about seven years ago, I did the same thing and it was really easy. Everything was done within like three hours, essentially. Whereas last year, it sort of took a fair bit of time, particularly the bank wanting a lot more information about my personal financial situation, my income, my share portfolio, my expenses, my investments, uh, my dividend income, etc., etc. So they needed a lot more information. So the lending practices overall, particularly for investors, and I did buy an investment property last year, is tightening. But we're now seeing that trickle over to the owner-occupier market. So that then means that fewer people are able to access mortgages. Um, and therefore, this leads to uh, fewer home purchases. Um, now, the flip side of that is if you can't purchase a home, that means people can't sell their homes. It's a net zero sum game, really. So, which means that the seller has to do one of two things. One is, well, one of three things. One is keep the market, uh, sorry, keep the property on the market for sale for the exact same price. And of course, every week that they keep the house on the market, it has two effects. One is it costs them money in terms of real estate fees and advertising fees, etc., but it also tells the potential buyers out there that that house is not selling. So if I was a buyer, it kind of puts me in a stronger position because I'm like, well, if the house has been on sale for like, you know, three months and no one wants to touch it, what is wrong with the house or how can I use that to my advantage to get a better price? Which means the second option that the seller can do is they can take the property off the market. And you'll see that a lot um, where you can actually buy properties off the market. A lot of these sellers 
don't want to advertise on domain.com.au or realestate.com.au, whatever. Um, so every week, you know, I get phone calls from various real estate agents that I have contacts with, um, and they sort of tell me what's lurking around in the off-market um, property market. So there is such a thing as people wanting to sell their home in what I call stealth mode. They don't want anyone to know. They don't want the public to know. They don't want their family to know. They just want to sell it and get it over and done with. There's no boards. There's no ads. It's just it's all done behind the scenes. And in fact, that's kind of how I bought my property last year. Um, I went to see a particular house in suburb one, didn't like it. And the guy said, you know what? I have something else potentially around the corner that might interest you. Went and saw the house and literally fell in love with it and bought it that day. But then it was a question of sort of sorting out finances, which took a few days to organize. So then the third option, if they don't take it out of the market and if they don't keep it in the market, is they can keep it in the market but reduce their price, which is what I'm seeing particularly in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, which is where I'm based at, um, where the prices are slowly coming down. I mean, I saw a house which was on a 1,000 square metre block in a really nice leafy eastern suburb for about a mil and a half, um, eventually sold for about $980,000, six weeks being on the market. And that's a huge price reduction. Um, and it's extremely tempting when those sort of things happen to sort of not try and get in and sort of impulse buy. But, um, you know, that's a massive, massive drop. That's probably the biggest drop I've seen. I've seen on average price drops of about sort of between you know, 80,000 to about 150,000 on properties worth between one and $2 million. Um, so, you know, I am seeing that sort of four to 5% drop in the overall property market, uh, at least where in and around suburbs of the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. I'm not really sure what's happening in Sydney and other Melbourne, uh, so other metropolises in, um, in Australia, but I suspect a similar sort of pattern may be around the corner. So, Basically, you've got tighter lending practices leads to lower home purchases, which means people can't sell their homes, which means potentially prices are driven down. And that's market forces. Now, combine that, or all of that, with people can't pay their existing mortgages. And that's called mortgage stress. So essentially, people have bought all these properties in the last 10 years at the peak of the market. Um, even though interest rates are down, the economy is starting to run out of puff. And then we are seeing a continuous growth in the economy, but not as much. And therefore, you see people you know, potentially losing their jobs or not having wage growth. Wage has been relatively stagnant in Australia um, for at least a couple of years now. And inflation is still sitting around 1% or 2%. So this creates a situation where if someone loses their job, or has reduced income or reduced wages, then the property that they've bought at the peak of the market you know, comes with a mortgage and they're just not able to repay those mortgage amounts on a monthly basis. Then they go to the bank and say, look, I'm having mortgage stress. Is there something that you can do to help me? And most banks will try and help you out as much as possible. I think by law they have to. Um, but really other people might say, you know what, we need to sell this house um, because we just can't pay this mortgage. Um, so when you sell the house, that's potentially selling it at a distress. And if the buyer gets wind of that, they can use it to their advantage and really take advantage 
of the situation and really take the sellers to the cleaners if they really wanted to. So, um, and of course, the flip side of that, the second stress on top of that is interest rates. Now, every month, Reserve Bank of Australia meet um, all these really important people, get around a boardroom and discuss about the economy and the interest rates and where it should be kept. And if you have a look at what's happening in the US, the interest rates are rising. So if the interest rates in Australia, which have been relatively steady state for at least, I think, two years or so, and this is the longest ever, I think, from memory, if they increase the interest rate even by one or two percent, that would tip over a lot of people in terms of not being able to pay their mortgage and enter into the mortgage stress scenario. So, you know, watch that space really, really quickly. And things can change very quickly in a period of months. Now, the other possibility, which, you know, there is a large, uh, you know, Royal Commission um, uh, into the banking sector. There was a commission into the insurance sector in the banking sector earlier this year where Commonwealth Bank basically defrauded thousands of customers by selling them insurances that they didn't need. The same thing is going to pan out probably in the Royal Commission in the banking sector in terms of predatory lending practices, which is what really created the problem in the U.S., uh, of the collateralized debt obligation situation where people basically got mortgages that they couldn't afford and then couldn't pay the um, monthly repayments. And of course, they defaulted on those mortgages. And of course, um, other people bought it at a bargain of the price, bought the property at the bargain of the price. So, But in Australia, I think because the lending practices are relatively tightening and have been relatively tighter compared to the US colleagues, then that situation of, you know, sort of mortgage stress and, and sort of that level of predatory lending hopefully um, hasn't occurred. But who knows? I mean, the Royal Commission is probably going to find out a lot of information. So watch that space. What that means is that allows potential customers to sue the banks for poor lending practices. I mean, really, the customers can turn around and say, well, you know what? After the Royal Commission... You guys are the problem. The banks are the problem, not me. You gave me this loan. You told me that I could afford it. I gave you the relevant information. So you sold me a product that was actually not fit for my purpose. So therefore, I'm going to sue you. Now, you've got to have some personal responsibility. Uh, but, you know, you can see a scenario like that playing in where the consumer is largely protected. And that all depends on what happens with the Royal Commission and what the outcomes are and what the findings are. Now, that means litigation goes out of control, um, and that might mean that the banks lose uh, their share value, their profit margins. Uh, if you notice, in the last 12 months, their profits have come down by about 6%, all the big banks, I think, from memory. So you can see how this can spiral out of control relatively soon. Now, combine all of the above with the election cycle. There's a Victorian state election coming up on the 24th of November. Um, and for you overseas listeners out there, we have multiple parties, uh, unlike the US, for example, that has a largely two-party system. So we have the Labour Party and the Liberal Party, which are the two main parties uh, in Australia. And you have smaller parties like the Nationals, the Greens, um, and also, um, you know, Aussie Battler Party. I saw a little banner for that the other day, which was, which was interesting. So uh, we do have lots and lots of, you know, political parties, um, but essentially the two main ones are Labour and Liberal. And currently the federal government is Liberal 
and the state government in Victoria is Labor. So, and what the federal government is proposing um, is to keep the existing negative gearing policy intact for investment properties in Australia, so the federal Liberal government, and they're also proposing to keep the existing capital gains tax exemption for properties that you own for more than a year and want to sell in the future. And the exemption is that you only pay sort of 50% um, uh, capital gains. So the other 50% is tax-free. So if Labor win the next federal election, um, which, you know, we're predicting would happen in the next 12 months, um, the, uh, sorry, predicting the election to happen in the next 12 months, not the fact that Labor may win. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but uh, I think the Liberals are personally are in a bit of trouble at the moment, but let's see how this pans out. But if Labor win, what they're proposing is they want to abolish negative gearing for existing properties. So in other words, if you buy an existing property as an investment, then you're not allowed to negatively gear. Uh, whereas if you build or buy a brand new property, then yes, you're allowed to negatively gear um, uh, that particular property. Now, Labor is also promising that if this policy were to be instituted, then it will not affect any existing properties that you may have purchased. So all those existing properties will be grandfathered in. It's only for new purchases. And the second thing Labor is saying is that the capital gains tax exemption of 50%, they want to reduce it to 25%. So you pay tax on the 75% of your um, capital gains. Now, there's a lot of doom and gloom talk about it. Uh, the Liberals are saying if these two policies were instituted in Australia by Labor, then the property market will collapse even further. And, you know, on a back, uh, on a back of already tightening lending practices, which means it leads to less home purchases, people don't invest. And as a result, if people don't invest, there's renters that end up paying more rent. So let's, let's look at it from a buyer, seller, investor, and renter point of view. So what does all this doom and gloom mean? So, um, well, for buyers, if you're someone that's on a good wage and you followed the principles of pay yourself first and you're saving, you know, at least 20% of your income, it's a great time to save more and cash up. Um, it's an absolute pleasant time to sit on the sidelines and just watch the market carefully and then perhaps pounce on a bargain potentially coming your way. So, you know, um, save money, basically. Um, and, you know, don't jump into the market without doing your research, but this is a great, great time for you to be in a cash position. Um, for sellers, not so great time to sell because, you know, prices are correcting, but it really depends on your personal circumstance. You might not have a choice, um, and that depends on your financial position, your employability, your job security, how your business is going, uh, do you have a second income in your family? There's a lot of things and variabilities. So for a seller at the moment, um, it's not a great time to sell. It's starting to be a buyer's market. Now, if you speak to real estate agents across the country, they'll say, no, no, it's the best time to sell. It's spring season in Australia and the sun's out and beautiful weather and people are just spending money left, right and centre and Christmas coming up and blah, blah, blah. Look, the bottom line is 
it's in their best interest to say that because they want to sell property um, and they want to sell property to buyers. So just be aware where you get the information from. For investors, well, it may mean that if Labor's policy goes ahead of scrapping negative gearing for existing properties, it may well mean that if you're an investor, you want to sit tight and wait and see who comes into power in the next 12 months because um, you might not want to invest in existing homes if, you know, um, Labor come in. Um, and you might only want to invest in uh, new homes um, as negative gearing for existing homes may not exist. Or the other part of me says, well, maybe I want to buy a house now and take advantage of the grandfathered clause because if I buy an existing property, I can negatively gear and Labor can't do anything about it. So, you know, too bad. Now that's, you know, you can, you know, um, you know, peel an apple various ways, but that's two separate ways of looking at it. But the bottom line is don't invest for the sake of investing and negatively gearing a property. I think that's a very, very poor strategy because you'll still lose out. What that means is I hear a lot of people saying, oh, I'm paying too much tax, therefore I need to buy another property so I can pay less tax. I think that's a BS argument. You should invest because you want to make money in the long run and you should invest because you have a plan to invest and you've done your research uh, rather than just investing because you want to save tax. That's just a terrible, terrible way of looking at it. Now, for renters, what does that mean? Well, potentially, if there are less investors overall, particularly if Labor comes into power and they scrap the negative gearing policy for existing properties, then you have a reduced pool of investors that buy investment homes that then go up for rent. So the argument is that rents may go up. Well, apparently there has been some evidence for this in the past, particularly during the Keating years. Now, I need to look at the stats in more detail. Um, I'm not buying it at the moment. I think that's a bit of a scaremongering to me. But, you know, if you're a renter, then yeah, potentially rents may go up. But you need to look at the evidence and have a look at the past history on this. Um, but the other side may say, well, why can't renters just rent new homes rather than older homes? Well, it might mean that the renters may have to move to outer suburbs of your metropolitan cities because that's where the new homes and growth corridors are. Because if they want to live in an inner city, then it's most likely going to be existing homes. And in amidst all this, I haven't really read much about what's going to happen to apartments, you know, because I've got an investment apartment and that's an existing property. And if you buy an existing investment apartment, even if Labor comes in, is that going to mean that they can't negatively gear? Now, if they want to scrap that sub-policy out of it, then that might mean that apartment prices may actually rise. So there's a few sort of nitty-gritties that are really I'm unsure about, and it'll be interesting to see what happens when the policies are finalised and which way we're headed at the moment. So hopefully that sort of gives you a bit of a rundown about you know, um, what's happening in Australia in terms of property, the, the, the prices are correcting, why they're correcting, and some of the factors that are causing them to correct. And some of the things to consider if you're in the property market, particularly thinking about the election cycle and what's going to happen in the next 12 months, because it really depends on who's in power and what's going to happen uh, and how your financial position and your property position may fare based on what's going to happen in the next 12 months from a political standpoint as well.
But you know my style. My style is invest because you want to make money and do it for the long term. Don't do it for the short term. So really, if you want to buy property for the next 30 to 40 years, then I think you should go for it because I just don't see in 40 years the property that you buy today being in the same price range as you know what it, what you buy it for today. It is going to increase because we have an influx of uh, population um, and net population growth is increasing. People need to live somewhere um, and you know there's new businesses being created. The economy just migrating um, and the economy will adapt. So if you're looking at the next 30 to 40 years, I don't think you've got much to worry about. If you're looking at the next five to 10 years, then it's, these are some of the things that you need to think about and factor in. Now, before I finish this podcast, um, I just thought I might very quickly talk about something uh, about a saving technique, which I personally use. And that is, you know, let's say on a fortnightly basis, your expenses is $1,000 um, and you uh, budget for that and you account for that and you put it away. And let's say the next fortnight, you notice that the expenses have reduced. It's actually $800 rather than $1,000. So my question to you is, what do you do with the spare $200? Do you then put it in a savings account? And what do you do with that money? Well, this is what I do. I take that 200 bucks and invest it in the stock market. Um, and I just do it routinely. This is in addition to the investments that I do on an automatic um, setting basically every fortnight just money just goes into the stock market a set percentage of my income gets saved and part of that goes to the stock market part of it goes to the cash account etc etc so my sort of thing is that if I'm budgeting for a thousand dollars in expenses per fortnight and some fortnights it's actually not a thousand dollars and it's less than a thousand dollars then I make up that thousand dollars and take the rest of it and just put it into a savings account or invest it so and that way um, it's just, you know, a little bit of icing on the cake and topping up of your savings and your investments. Now, you're well within your rights to take that extra 200 bucks that you've saved and spend it all on pizza or, or take your family on a beautiful restaurant meal. And that's completely fine because you're kind of in the same budget range anyway. You're not actually over splurging or spending more than what you budgeted for your expenses. But I tend not to do that. I'm a you know, I think that I can save that money and, and I'm a great believer in live like no one else now so that you can live like no one else later on in the future, thanks to Dave Ramsey. Um, so that's just a little tip that I'd probably, uh, probably that you'd find useful, I think, if you think about it that way. So um, this is Raja from Melbourne, uh, from Dev Raga Finance. Um, look, nothing that I talk about finance in my podcasts you know, constitutes official financial advice. Uh, I've been very clear that I'm not a financial advisor, not an accountant. It's really general information. These are basic principles that I live by and I think other people may find useful. Um, so please don't take my advice as gospel. Please consider your own personal financial situation and consult your own financial advisor and accountant. Um, so till next time, pay yourself first. Um, be an automatic saver, take away a percentage of your income, put it away and be an automatic investor. Um, don't pay too much attention to the news, although ironically this podcast is about the latest news in Australia. And um, just stay safe um, and look, 
for all you Melbournians out there, um, enjoy the beautiful weather that we've had in recent times. Um, and for the people outside of Melbourne, uh, if you've got time, pay us a visit. We are the greatest city in the world. There you go. Shameless plug for Melbourne. Um, so till next time, this is Raja again from Dev Raga Finance. Um, stay safe and look after yourself. And uh, I'll come back hopefully in the near future with another episode with some useful financial tips. Thank you and goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.